Welcome to You Wanted a Hit, a podcast in which we discuss unlikely, perplexing, and positively bizarre songs that swept the nation and often the world. Hit songs that, looking back, make us think, how did this get played on the radio? Do people actually like this? Do we like this? Thanks so much for tuning in. I'm your co-host, Michael Smith, and I'll be discussing one song per episode with my co-host and fellow music fanatic, pop culture enthusiast Theo Beidler. Each episode, we'll take turns exploring the song, while the other host has no idea what song will be the focus until we hit play. Action. 2022. First recording. That's true. All right. Before we get started, we need to... uh, I know you're you're drinking a Bloody Mary. We're recording during the daylight hours, which is rare for us. So we did talk about doing some some, uh, some breakfast drinks, but I'm going to pop a uh, delicious Sierra Nevada, thanks to our sponsor here. Uh, I don't have cans. I got bottles, so I'm not sure that the sound is going to be as good over. Oh, oh. That was nice. That could be good. <laughs> and you know what else, Mike? We talked about it pre-episode, but do you know it goes great with beer. Uh, you know, every so often when I'm drinking a beer, I like really want a pretzel and and some mustard. Do you know? Well, I so have that here. I've got a pretzel, and I have this delicious new hot mustard. Oh, from our boys at Quentin's, Quentin's hot out of Nashville. I'm are aware. You, are you are you aware? Uh, Quentin's is wonderful. I have two bottles right now. All right, well, I'm going to take a take a bite right here. Uh, this is a this is not a sponsor yet, but this is a shameless plug for one of our great friends, Andrew Clore, who has been getting ready to launch his sauce company for. for He's been toiling away for several years. Yeah, but it's here to launch this. Quentin's mustard. hot mustard is out. Quentinsauce.com. You can go there. Pick up a couple of bottles. It's got a nice little kick from um, Carolina Reaper peppers that Andrew grows himself. Mm-hmm. It's lovely. Andrew is coming to visit me this weekend. We're going to go see the war on drugs. COVID be down. Oh, that's right. At MSG. Um, so hopefully he'll bring me a couple of bottles for free for this mention. <clears throat> I think that would mean a sponsor. We'll have, to, we'll have to get the sound clip to him before this weekend. <laughs> Let's get into our song. Uh, we are going back to the 80s. Yes. We've been in the 90s for a little bit. That's actually not true. The last two episodes were 2000s and 1960s, so never mind. But to be fair, there are a lot of songs in the 90s. That's the age of of music industry excess. Yeah, as was the 80s. Uh, This is the early 80s. We're at the the beginning of this. Ooh, okay. And and like I said, this is a song that was just made for this podcast. So here we go. Oh, absolutely. Fantastic. Absolutely. A classic. Uh, the safety dance. An absolute 80s classic. Men without hats. The safety dance. What? Uh, Men man, without hats. I can't hats. wait to learn about this. This this is amazing. Oh. Yeah, well, hey, I've, I've got you here. We're going we're gonna to start with the name, but uh, to, to go back to the, the foundations here, Men Without Hats was formed in Montreal. In 1977. I didn't know they were Canadian. Well, I think they're actually American, but they grew up in Montreal. Everything I read was Canadian-centered. And then when I was doing some cleanup uh, research here in the last hour, I found one line that said, you know, Americans uh, raised in Montreal. So I was like, oh, okay. Let's... Oh, so they're, they're American-born, but raised in Canada. That's, that's the word I'm, all I'm, of them? I'm assuming. Well, all of them, yes, because it's a band of brothers. I didn't know that. Yeah, lead singer Ivan Dorshuk. Dorshuk. 
uh, is joined by his brothers, Colin on keyboards and electronics, and Stefan on the guitar and bass. Just a trio, just three men without hats. There were some other members. Uh, it sounded like very early on, they went through numerous different iterations of, of the band, lots of members coming in and out. But these are the, the three main guys. Uh, and, and as you mentioned, all without hats. And I would love to say that the band name has a deeper meaning, but uh, it, it is just the fact that all the brothers never wore hats. <laughs> I like that even more. I think that's great. Yeah, this is unique because I guess it was a big deal that they never wore hats in the winters. Obviously, the winters in Montreal are probably oh, right. brutal, probably very similar yeah. to what they were like in Chicago. I've been there in the winter. It's very cold. Yeah. Did you wear a hat? I did. I think I wore a hat the entire trip. Yeah. Well, uh, these guys never did. What a bunch of tough asses. Colin Dorshuk was quoted saying, style before comfort. I'm picturing some very stylish Montreal brothers just roaming the streets with really red ears. <laughs> yeah. I would love to say I always thought that there would be a deeper meeting here, but there's not. Uh, the men without hats. That's great. Which I find funny because I feel like people often uh, compare or confuse Men Without Hats with Men with at Devo. Work. Oh. Oh, and Men at Work. Um, Devo definitely wore Devo hats. wore a lot of hats. Men, with that, men at Work, maybe not. Men at Work had hats, too. I feel like there was one video where they were wearing like, Yeah, I feel like there was a video hats. where they were wearing cowboy hats, too. It's Australian. But, oh, there you yeah. go. Look at that. All right, so Men Without Hats and, and Men With Hats. Okay. They had an earlier band in high school uh, called Wave 21. And uh, then I read, Ivan explained at one point, so I read that they were in high school in 1976, uh, and then they formed Men Without Hats in 1977. But then I also saw a quote from Ivan that said, I had been studying law in the south of France in 1976 when the Sex Pistols first came out. I came back to Montreal as punk rock was hitting North American shores. Everybody was starting bands. They were exciting times. We started out playing Cramps covers in the beginning, Hell yeah. playing James Chance and the Contrarians covers, just doing noise, basically. And it evolved. Electronic bands and punk bands were playing on the same bills because nobody else would let them play. That was our scene. Okay. So that's kind of the foundations of Men Without Hats. But like yeah. I said, I'm not really unsure about the, the timeline here because apparently he was studying law in 76, but also in high school. So I'm not really sure there. But, but all signs point to the fact that Men Without Hats formed in 1977. Uh, their logo if you've never seen it, is uh, a face of a man with a hat with the traditional right. circle and slash telling you that hats are not allowed. There are a number of bands yeah. where their logo has the, the circle with the slash through it. Bad Religion, probably the most famous one. Very punk rock, I guess, right? Uh, so that's the foundation of Men Without Hats. They recorded their first EP in 1980 entitled Folk for the 80s, uh, which led them to sign with Static Records worldwide and MCA in the U.S. Wow. And I had read that they were re rejected by almost every major label in Canada. And Ivan said, we were actually, we actually released in Canada on a distribution deal on Warner Brothers. We had sent them the same demo of the same album and they refused it. And they ended up being forced <laughs> to release it because of our distribution deal with Static. <laughs> so I always love when the, you have those oh, karmic shit. moments. These guys? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So Safety Dance uh, is the Second single off their first album, which is entitled "Really Rhythm of Youth," and debut it, album. Debut album. It came out in 1982. Huge. Uh, the first single was "I Got the Message," which I read quote went nowhere. Okay, I don't know that song. I will send it to you right now. It's very um, 
It's a little more anthemic. It has a bit of an, like, a ELO-ish vibe to it. Okay. Which, until today, I'd never listened to any other Memorial Hat songs, so perhaps more of their songs sound a bit like this, but um, it's kind of fun. I kind of like it. It almost has, like, a, a driving, like, Killers or, or Bleachers kind of feel to it. Yeah, I can hear Killers. It's kind of a cool song. Especially when that higher synth yeah. comes in. Oh, it's pretty good. I know, I kind of like it. But this song uh, went nowhere. And then they released Safety Dance, which also went nowhere. So this song, when it first came out on the Canadian charts, uh, fizzled out pretty quickly. But then they re-released it on a 12-inch dance version. And that is the one that, that blew up. And that's the one that we know. Okay. Uh, Ivan was quoted saying, we released that in Canada and nothing happened. We released Safety Dance and then nothing happened. We went back into the studio and started recording the next record. At one point, we had to do a 12-inch dance remix of Safety Dance because that was a new thing. So we did this remix, sent it off, and that's when everything hit the fan. It went to the top of the Billboard charts. We were in the studio halfway through the second record, and we had to go back on the bus and go tour America for a year. It was total fun time. All right. He's very wholesome. Yeah. He's very Canadian. I love it. Very wholesome. Yeah. Can we hear the original version of Safety Dance? Yeah, that's that available? A great, that's a great call. It's much slower. It's slower. A lot of emphasis on the bass guitar. I guess I might be a synth bass. It comes in a little later, though. It doesn't hit right away. I could see for a a single, it takes a while. I mean, it has that iconic high synth part. It's a little more like old school hip hop sounding. He's like kind of rapping. Like it sounds like a really white version of Grandmaster Flash from the Furious Five. I did read that that first band, Wave 21, they essentially they would just play like synth tunes and then read poetry over top of it. That makes sense. Which would kind of give credence to like a really kind of like a generic white man's hip hop style right here very like structured enunciated yeah yeah this takes a little while for him to even start singing he's just like kind of speak rap singing uh do you have any idea what this song is about or what it means i don't uh i mean is it kind of one of those like dance like no one is watching kind of things like hey fuck you guys i'm gonna do my thing over here it could be because I it want could to be. dance. It is, I, I would say uh, it, it leans that way. So there were or are okay. a lot of rumors to the, the deeper meaning of the song. Uh, two of the most famous are that it was about safe sex. Uh. Which seems like, you know, kind of fairly obvious on the surface. Uh, doing the safety dance, dancing sex, having protected sex. Uh, and this did come out during the, the beginning of the AIDS crisis. So... Right. Safe sex would have been you know, in the news, on the forefront of people's minds. Uh, and there, there are lines that are, you know, obviously the, one of the main lines is, we can dance, we can dance, everybody's taking a chance. Sure. So I could see how that would kind of play into it. The other rumor is that the song is an anti-nuke song. Okay. Ivan is apparently very political. And if you watch till the end of the music video, there's like a collage of pictures that, that are like planes and missiles. And the line in the song that people kind of point to 
is uh, where he says everything is out of control. And I guess the idea is that like the world's going to end anyway. So let's just dance. Let's just have fun. It was Cold War. Yeah. Cold War time. So that would. What? Our third Cold War song. Well, perhaps. But uh, Ivan says that's a bit of a stretch. Uh, But he did say in an interview, we were pretty much anti-everything. It wasn't a question of being anti-nuclear. It was a question of being anti-establishment. It turns out that this song, much like the band's name, is really just right there on the surface. And you kind of alluded to it. Uh, This song is about fighting back for your right to dance the way you want to. And there's a great YouTube channel called Professor Rock. Professor of Rock. Have you seen this? I don't think so. I was not aware, but he, he does an interview with Ivan, uh, and he had a lot of videos that looked pretty good, so I'm, I'm going to dig in. Um, but essentially, the song was written after an incident where Ivan was kicked out of a club for pogoing, which is the precursor to slam dancing. Yep. And there is pogoing is, is essentially jumping up and down and, and slamming yeah. into each other, much like, like slam dancing. Violently, yeah. But I did find this very funny video that I will share with you. It's someone explaining how you would pogo but it's done in such like a dry way it has to be satirical oh the undertones yeah rock i just love the way this guy explains how to dance commence with feet slightly apart on the first beat simultaneously remove right foot and left foot from the floor on the second beat return to start position repeat continuously until music ceases These classic steps permit considerable freedom of movement in the upper part of the body. Arms may, for example, be fully extended or bent at the elbow, and physical contact may be made with other dancers for light-hearted aggression as a means of leverage or for any other purpose which the rhythm and ambience suggest. So that's Pogo, if you're ever interested. Yeah, so in this interview that I referenced with Professor of Rock, Ivan said, it was the dying days of disco, and the DJs would occasionally slip in Blondie's Heart of Glass or Devo or Rock Lobster and we started pogoing and the bouncers would interpret that as fighting or causing a disturbance and we would get turfed. Now I don't know if turfed is just a Canadian phrase but I really enjoy that one. Yeah I like it too. I picture them like like their face hits the ground outside. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, but yeah in another interview on a radio station he confirmed that it, it was most likely this time that he was in a club in, in Ontario and Rock Lobster came on, they were pogoing, he got thrown out, he went home and, and wrote this song, and he said, it's about not succumbing to peer pressure, doing your own thing, following your own beat. And he talked a bit about the punk scene at the time, and said, because it was such a visual m- movement, it wasn't just the music, it was the clothes, the hairstyle, the shoes, you were taking a stand. You would go and buy a uniform that would identify you as the opposition. It wasn't peace and love anymore. It was more of an anarchist kind of bend to things, more of a street fight than the 60s. Which I think is a really interesting way to put it because I never really compared like the punk scene to the hippie scene in the 60s. Mm-hmm. But they were very similar. They were very similar against you know war and the yeah. establishment. But it came off right. in a very different way. It came off as you know, peace and love. And then on the 80s, it was much more of like an anarchist bend. To see it's like, said. hey, we, we tried doing this nicely, but... Uh now we're going to fight and scream in your face and play louder guitars. Yeah. And he went on to say that like, because it was a, you know, more of a visual movement that, you know, you'd be wearing leather jackets, you'd have the hair, you had the boots. And so, you know, when bouncers saw you come in, they'd immediately have your eye on you. And, you know, any moment they had to kind of throw you out, they would do that. And so thus was born the safety dance and, and the rest is history. 
was there uh was their band before this way more like punk sounding because this is very i mean new wave came out of punk but this is like very new wave sounding yeah i think it's very new wave i think probably through like the the lens of history they called themselves more punk and i think at the time they felt like they were punk rockers but like they were playing new wave music for sure nothing about the music is or ever was like punk in nature as we would describe it as we would like Mm -hmm. traditionally put something in the box so that's the song there really isn't anything deeper to it and if you look at the lyrics with that in mind you're like okay yeah that all all adds up um do you remember the the music video for this song vaguely i'm I'm sure once i see it i will like really remember it yeah i felt the same way and it was definitely let me send this over to you this is definitely a video where you know i was i was born what like four or five years after this came out so i didn't watch this Mm -hmm. at the time uh, it was at the infant stages of MTV, but I'm sure that this was on right. VH1, and that's probably where I saw it later in life. Yeah, in the 90s. pop-up video. This is probably a big one. Oh, duh. As soon as I saw the field, <laughs> yes, exactly. I know this very well, of course. So the video, it is nothing like you would imagine, I think. No, it's very like Princess Bride. Yes. Yeah, of course, of course. So I can't believe that this didn't come to mind Like as soon as I heard the song. I know, you see it and you're like, oh my god, yes, I remember this. Yeah. It's very strange. I do actually think it's because sometimes whenever I think of this band, I, I accidentally think of Men at Work. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that makes sense. <laughs> We've got like, uh, there's, I guess he's like a court jester. And then they're dressed like very Renaissance fair going through a village. It's very like medieval times. He's essentially like a Pied Piper character leading everyone right. in the village to dance around this maple. To dance. And there's a dog. And there's a dog, and there's a, there's a little person. That is actor Mike Edmonds. The jester, yeah. Uh, he's appeared in several films, including Return of the Jedi, Time Bandits, Flash Gordon, Dark Crystal, and Who Framed Roger Rabbit. What a filmography. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. Directed by Tim Pope, who has done many videos. Uh, probably best known for his work with The Cure. Oh. Uh, just by looking at his discography or videography, uh, it looks like he pretty much did every piece of their visual work oh uh, so wow the okay videos, so the I've seen a lot of his stuff yeah uh much darker that, than this for the most part <laughs> a little bit a little bit <laughs> i uh i was reading a, a bit from ivan when he talked about this concept uh and he said it was pre-internet so he and tim would write letters to each other dis- discussing the video and apparently both of them had the same idea to do a Pied Piper type thing, and they wrote to each other and sent Interesting. it. Interesting, and then the the letters would have passed in the night. So two super aside. weirdos that are like, "Yeah, Pied Piper video, let's do it." Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I can't imagine seeing this. The eighties were very different, and there are only so many videos that you would see, you know, that were in rotation. But like seeing this video <laughs> with this song. The first time you saw it, I can't imagine that you're like, this rules. This is so <laughs> rad. <laughs> yeah. So actually, Ivan mentioned this at some point. He said, I think people were expecting a real new wave techno looking band and they got Peter Pan instead. <laughs> he said it created quite a stir in the new wave community. But it's kind of this great juxtaposition because it's a very modern sounding, especially at the time, synthesized you know electronic sounding song and then the video is like as analog as it gets there's a an article that sums it up really well but i have to point out a fun fact that will come up in this quote on the song and the salt sang the part 
Uh, but in the video, it's uh, Luis Court, who would later become the editor-in-chief of Cosmopolitan magazine in the UK. Whoa. So again, just a random okay. aside, but this article that quoted the video in, in a good way said, it was filmed in the Wiltshire village of West Kington, a location so unrock and roll that the nearest point of interest is Lay Delamere services on the M4 motorway. It was made by Tim Pope, later to become very well known for his videos for The Cure, and it depicted some kind of god-awful medieval fair with dancing dwarfs, Morris dancers, a Punch and Judy show, and the future editor of Cosmopolitan playing an unhinged dancer, dancing villager. It was a gaudy, messy treat that suited the song, which had an oddly old world <laughs> it feel does. to it. I think melodically in the way he's singing, it works. It works for it. Yeah, and it's interesting. Ivan mentioned that, and it's kind of true. He goes, he said, it's a timeless video. It's like doing a Western. You can't date it. Kids watch it now, and you can't tell it was made in the 80s. Yeah, Which is kind is. of true. If you yeah. watch this video, it's almost like you could see it being made now in like a tongue-in-cheek way. You could see it being actually made in the if 60s. If this version had been in HD yeah. that we just watched, yeah, it could have been any point Yeah, in time. so I think it does keep with this, uh, I don't know, timeless feel of the song, because clearly it has spanned now three, three, four, you know, decades of, of generations of music. Of course. Here. This weekend I watched Edgar Wright's documentary about Sparks, the Sparks Brothers. Oh, okay. Yeah. If you haven't seen it, it's amazing. It's on Netflix. No. Probably one of the best music documentaries I've seen in a couple of years, but when sparks went from glam rock power pop whatever they were doing and changed to more electronic new wave disco sounding music in the 80s actually they did it first they were one of the first ones like 79 they changed to that they still had this sort of like classical sounding thing to it it's like they had like a lot of arpeggios and the keys like kind of followed a bunch of uh a bunch of scales you would hear in classical music and the, even the singing a little bit. And this song is kind of similar. Like it's kind of got those like weird, almost Elizabethan sounding vibes to it, even though it's like a synthesized eighties dance song. Yeah. I mean, I would have to assume not like classically trained, but I have to assume that this family was like big into music and probably learned right. to play multiple instruments. Uh, Cause I've mentioned that he trained in piano uh, so you have to kind of imagine that they're bringing in some of those kind of like, uh, like you said, classic, uh, refrains, kind and, of a Hanson situation you're saying, uh, I mean, <laughs> it's just a precursor to Hanson. Maybe, I don't know. <laughs> sure. <laughs> the Canadian version. Although I would not be surprised if Hanson was Canadian. I actually have no idea. They're from Omaha. Canada. Omaha. Canada. Omaha, Canada. <laughs> Omaha, Quebec, Canada. <laughs> yeah. In this video, you'll see the actual safety dance which i didn't i don't think i knew that there was an actual safety dance i guess i assumed it's just someone making an s are you, are you seeing it's just doing this just just <laughs> which i guess everyone can do it's just you make an s with your arms above your head and and change positions i feel like that's a yoga move it does kind of feel like very like a uh, harry krishna-esque but yeah that was the dance and i think that yeah. Were people doing this dance, like, in the clubs? Apparently they were. And I think it was kind of like a... From the video? A, a, everyone can do this dance, kind of like the Macarena of sorts, where... All right, I'm going back I to do, the video. There's also... Let me try it. This is even simpler than the, than the Macarena. You'll see it come up here and there. It takes a while to get to this. Man, I'm scrolling through this video, at like, every five seconds, and I have not seen 
Oh, there we go. Okay. I saw them. Yeah. There you see it. It's very strange, right? The guy in the video is is the the lead singer of the band, right? Yes. And he's very he's a good looking guy. Yeah, but he's very like eccentric. Yeah. Very goofy. Uh not wearing a hat. Should not surprise you. But yeah, so apparently the safety dance was like a dance that people did. Yeah, I see that. I've heard this song come on at weddings, parties, etc. And I've never seen anybody pull out the S's, but you know, next time I'm going to be rocking those S's so hard. I feel like if you hear it at a wedding, look for like the crazy aunt. She'll be the one. <laughs> it, you know what? It kind of reminds me of the uh, the Elaine dance from Seinfeld. It does with the kit, the little yeah, because it's very like structure. It's very I don't know. It's like, very it's very uh, abrasive. Yeah, yeah, it's stiff. It's like the the movements are very intentional. To me, it's not very like punk rock pogo. It's not a very no. good dance at <laughs> all. It's like they made it up on set. They're like, I don't know, make an S, do it. All right, do it really aggressively. We're good. Let's start filming. I think that's what it is. I, I think partially the song got popular because I think a big part of it, and we'll get to the, the, the chart positioning, but I think a big part of it, this is one of those songs that came out at the right time when MTV literally had right. five songs on rotation. And what other MTV videos looked like a Renaissance fair? I mean, right. this is going to stick out. People are going to play it. But apparently this dance was a thing, and I'm sure that it got coverage on, like, your local news station where people would be like, hey, do you hear about the safety dance? And they, like, you know, they do it. Streets like, are shut down <laughs> in downtown with people doing the safety dance. So that's kind of, like, I, maybe that's partially uh, helped. I guess, like, I don't know, the early 80s, late 70s were a time of dance songs, like uh, songs that had dances to them. It feels much, I don't know, I feel like back in the day it happened more than, than it does now. I mean... Gangnam Style, the last one I can think of. Yeah, it's every few years yeah. now. I feel like yeah. then it was like it was like a few every year. Well, but we've talked about this time and time again on on this podcast. Music tastes are so splintered now that like yeah. it's hard to have any sort of phenomena. It's it's pretty seldom. Uh, I feel like if 100%. Old Town Road had a dance, everyone would have known that dance. But that's pretty singular. I'm going to a wedding this Saturday, so I feel like. I should request the safety dance and just bust <laughs> this shit out and see if anybody else joins me. Please do. Please do. If nothing else, <laughs> it will like subconsciously get people at the wedding into maybe wanting to listen to this episode. Uh, so as I mentioned, the song did not take off uh, until this dance remix. It entered the Canadian top 50 in February of 1983, and it peaked at number 11, May of that year. It didn't start popping in the U.S. until even later in the year. And it wouldn't become a worldwide sensation until late winter, 83, early 84. In the U.S., it went to number one on the dance charts on June 2nd, 1983. And then the 2 minute and 44 length version saw, uh, so got some momentum and rose to number three on the Hot 100 on September 10th, where it lingered there for three weeks, never getting to number two or number one. Uh, it was up against some heavy hitters. So... That first week when it got to number three was the week of September 10th. Number one was Maniac by Michael Cimbalo. Oh. Which, that's a song that I had not thought of for the podcast. Flash dance. That's a great song. A lot of dancing. Mm -hmm. Number two was Sweet Dreams by The Rhythmics. Oh, I mean, that was probably on the charts for for 12 years. Huge hit. (laughs) Huge hit. Uh, Number three, Safety Dance. And number four... Putting on the Ritz by Taco. Oh, a song that will be coming up. Definitely be in the pot. Oh my God, what a weird song. Yeah. 
So Maniac would hold number one that next week. And then the week after, it was surpassed by Billy Joel's Tell Her About It. Mm. Huge song. Behind that, Total Eclipse of the Heart. Oh, huge song. A lot of these songs are still so iconic. Yeah. So that song, Total Eclipse of the Heart, went to number one that week after, the first week of October. And that is when Safety Dance slipped from number three to number seven. Uh, Besides Billy Joel and Bonnie Tyler, you had Air Supply, you had The Police. You had True by Spandu Ballet, Ballet, Spandu Ballet, uh, which is a banger of a song, and I never knew that that this, was the band's name. This chart is white as fuck. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, but outside of that, you had Stray Cats, Sexy and 17, which I totally forgot about. Very Brian Setzer vibes and would have been. Well, it's Brian Setzer. Oh, is it really? Yeah. Oh, shit. All right. Brian Setzer was the front man Stray oh, Cats. Well, there you go. Okay. So we did we yeah. did reference this then. Uh, and then number six, climbing the charts, you had Islands in the Stream by Kenny Rogers and Dolly Parton. Oh, so look, the song Safety Dance was not getting to number one. There was just too much firepower all <sighs> I'm around I'm surprised it. it got where it did. My yeah. God. Wow. I mean, it's, it's an iconic song, but like these other songs are like moments in yeah. time. But I guess for some people, this song was too. I mean, it's... This song reminds me of uh it would be I feel like it would be in the pantheon of songs. You know in uh Perks of Being a Wallflower, where they're all at the prom yes. and they start playing Come yeah. on Eileen and the punk kids are like, They're playing good music. <laughs> it's like the few songs that come from the like what now we would call the indie or alternative crowd that gets yeah. onto the radio. Like it would happen I remember when I was in school, it'd be like they're playing Blink-182 or No Doubt or whatever instead of boy bands and shit. Like, we'd get all excited. I feel like this is one of those songs where, like, the kids would be up against the wall. This shit all sucks. They're just playing, you know, all the stupid top 10, you know, Billy Joel right. bullshit. And then Safety Dance comes on and they're doing yes, that S. Yes, yes. That, that, that probably is true and maybe why it broke through a little bit. Because at the time, if you're not into Billy Joel and Bonnie Tyler, then anything that's going to be like very alt that you're going to be like, fuck yeah, sure. Why not? Like, yeah, I was excited that, that no doubt was on at the dance. Cause it was the closest thing to operation. Ivy. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And this song maybe broke through just enough for all the different, you know, kind of uh, alt coalitions to, to come together and be like, all right, let's run this up the charts. And that's at the end of the eighties movie where the nerds, the jocks, the punks, they're all <laughs> dancing together. Everyone's getting along. They're all doing the ass. freeze frame. Absolutely. So the song charted in the top 20 or top 10 in 20 countries, pushing worldwide sales of rhythm and youth youth to more than 2 million copies. Their uh, debut album. Their debut album. The group received three Felix Awards, which I guess is an award, a music award in Quebec. Um, yeah. Best selling single, group of the year and rock album of the year. Were the Judos around yet? Well, yeah. So they uh, earned a Judo Award nomination. Which uh, the Junos are like the what the Canadian Grammys essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, they they re- yeah they received the nomination for most promising group and single of the year, uh, and they also received a Grammy nomination for best new artist. Wow, really? Damn. Yeah. Do you know who they were up against? The 1983 Grammy Awards. Uh, the nominees were The Rhythmics, Big <sighs> Country, Musical Youth, Men Without Hats, and the winner is Culture Club. Oh, wow. Yeah, some stiff competition there. Yeah. 
I mean, between the Culture Club and the Arrhythmics, I feel like. I mean, one of them would have had it in the bag. Oh, you know who was the winner in 1982, the year before? Men at Work. Oh! <laughs> Men at Work were up against Stray Cats. They were up against the Human League, who will go on to tour with um, yeah, Never Not Hats. Yeah. Jennifer Holiday in Asia. Asia. Whew. In 2005, Safety Dance was ranked the 36th greatest Canadian song of all time on CBC Radio 1 series. Yeah, it's it's 34 Neil Young songs and then this. <laughs> <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. 33. There's a Shania Twain song in there, too. Oh, sorry. <laughs> uh, so the legacy of this song, I mean, everyone has covered it. <laughs> It is uh, that the same article that had the great quote about the video also had the quote about some of the covers here. And it says, there is the extremely hip, the experimental hip hop producer Jay Dilla version recorded as a slowed down instrumental. There is the extremely unhip status quo, correctly identified it as not a million miles from the boogie. There is the raw from the garage rock band Madonna's. And then there's the poppy from the Asteroids Galaxy Tour. There was even a Brady Bunch-themed Weird Al Yankovic parody. It definitely seems like something he would play on his accordion. It's pretty good. Essentially, it's, you can watch any other show, but he always goes back to the Brady Bunch theme. That's pretty funny. Uh, this is our second uh, Weird Al sitcom oh, you're right. themed song. I didn't pick up on that. I guess for it probably makes sense for him to just kind of like keep harping on any kind of pop culture. In addition to that lineup, Angel Olsen has a has a newer one. Really? Which I think is very cool. Very uh, stripped down. That one's probably more like symbolic, like be yourself, be free from uh, the strict code of society. I appreciate it, I think, because unlike most covers, it doesn't try to imitate the actual like rhythm of the song. It's probably not doing it because like, oh, this song's funny. Remember this? And she's like, oh, no, this is cool. It's yeah. actually a good song. Oh, this is great. I mean, Angel Olsen can't go wrong. Yeah, the the reframe of the, the chorus is really great. The way she does it. I'm also looking up the Rufus Wainwright version, which I didn't uh, listen to all the time. He's from Montreal. The Wainwrights are, they like, they rule Montreal. I went to Martha Wainwright's cafe when I was there that she owns, and she oh. served us sandwiches and then played a couple songs. No shit. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, it is incredible. Uh, other than Rufus Wainwright and Angel Olsen, uh, Sleeping at Last, of course, did a cover of the song. The, as, uh, of course they did. And then I found a list of about 47 other bands that wow. I've never heard of that also covered the song. In a connection, there's uh, a cover by The Feelings, which I only know this because it is in a Lipton iced tea commercial, which I believe comes from Uruguay. Featuring one of my favorite men, Hugh Jackman. What? <laughs> In this research I did, uh, it looks like Hugh Jackman has multiple international commercials for Lipton Tea, which I, yeah, I, especially in like I love it. 90s and early 2000s, I think a lot of big name stars did commercials that we would never see. Definitely. And they got millions. Abroad. So yeah. I just sent you the Hugh Jackman Uruguay. It's version. great that he's doing these tea commercials because he, he has a, his own coffee company mm. now. I don't think I knew that. I encourage everybody to look this up. It's literally on YouTube as Hugh Jackman, Green Lipton, Iced Tea, Safety Dance. Uruguay. It's really good. It's a precursor to uh, to The Greatest Showman. But I'm going to one-up that because it, it, I also found 
the Japanese version, which is not Safety Dance, uh, but it is it's a minute and a half long. They spent some money in Japan. Check out this one. This one's great. I'm a big fan of this one. It features Hugh Jackman sitting in a hotel, and he takes a swig of Lipton Brisk Ice Tea, and then he just wants to fucking dance. This reminds me of that, already reminds me of that uh, Fatboy Slim video with oh, 100%. Uh, uh, Christopher Walken. Didn't Hugh Jackman give you a lotto ticket one time? He did, yeah. I was on oh. set for The Great Showman. And I guess every Friday he gives out lottery tickets <laughs> to the cast. What a mensch. What a mensch. He is. He's a very nice guy. Do you know anything about Crazy Frog? Mm-hmm. I don't know anything about it. Can you tell me? I mean, I've seen Crazy Frog around. Okay. <laughs> like, I know what it is, but I don't know why it is. Well, there's a Crazy Frog version, and the only reason I bring up Crazy it's frog. like a CG frog, animated frog, that sings a bunch of songs. It's like a DJ frog. Yeah, I guess. Modern yeah, sure. version of Alvin and the Chipmunks versions of songs. Okay. Well, I bring this up because Ivan's son, this is how he found out about the song, really, and about how he connected it to his dad. And so for like a little moment, he was like a celebrity in the school because his dad wrote the Crazy Frog song. This is a big crazy frog song. This this video has 157 God million damn. views. That is 157 million more than the Dominic the Donkey second second version. <laughs> the sequel. <laughs> damn. Good for a crazy frog ass. I'd, I'd love to know more about who's behind the frog. The, I love it. The top comment is, this is the dream for mid-tier musicians. <laughs> well, are they wrong? And they also, I would say, you know what? It's even more of the dream for uh, a mid-tier artist being on Glee. And this song was also featured on Glee. And in of the course. very like wholesome way that Ivan seems to be, he was like very ecstatic about this, and he loved the way that they were portrayed. Um, I guess it's about a one of the cast members in Glee is in a wheelchair, and this was like mm-hmm. his moment, like a dream of his to dance. Uh, and they had this like flash mob type scene where where they dance to the song. So, um, oh man, Glee flash mobs really get yeah. into the era there. Uh, the song was also featured in two episodes of South Park, two episodes of The Simpsons, an episode of Family Guy. It also appears in Saving Silverman. Oh, I was waiting for you to bring up Saving Silverman. I I was hoping you would because that's like my biggest connection to this song. Oh, is it? Is because my friends and I. My, my buddies that you've met who I grew up with, uh, we love Saving Silverman, even though it probably has like a 2% on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> That's a great movie. But it's hilarious. Uh, it's a ridiculous movie. It also is one of the reasons I love Neil Diamond. Uh, but there's a scene in that movie where uh, they try to find Darren's old girlfriend, who's the nun, who he's been in love with forever. And they're like, oh, you remember us from high school? She's like, not really. And Steve's on like, hey, it's Wayne. High school, remember? You remember? You can dance if you want to. <laughs> you can leave your friends behind. Because if your friends don't dance, and if they don't dance. <laughs> oh, right, talent show. Yeah. You were food <laughs> off the stage. Yeah. <laughs> that was me. Yep. That is your connection. I always remember this scene from The Simpsons. Because whenever I have sung the song, right, that's iconic. In the last like ten years, I always sing. You can dance. You can dance. You, you can, can dance. dance. Everybody, look, Everybody at my pants. look at your pants. Uh, so yeah, so 
Other movies, it was in Biodome. It was in Hot Tub Time Machine. And uh, famously, it was also in Beavis and Butthead, which I again mentioned because... The video itself was on Beavis and Butthead, because I can imagine they had some things to say about it was. this video. Let's watch it together. This, uh, I saw <laughs> Ivan, Ivan quoted saying that this was his favorite like pop culture reference. He, lo- he loved this. Uh, I mean, this video is like made for Beavis and Butthead. Michael Jackson? Um... <laughs> I got that B from that blind melon video. (laughs) (laughs) I guess back in the day, this was like, if you can get a beer with the butt, this is gold, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's so funny that they say that he should go learn to dance at a Pantera concert because this kind of this song is about (laughs) slam dancing. It's kind of amazing that this song is about like punk rock pogoing and slam dancing. And nothing of the video represents that at all. No, like you would never look at this and be like, yeah, this is about punks like getting kicked out of disco. You would never look at that and be like, this is punk rock. It's like a way it's like a way more subversive song than it is on the surface. I'm pretty sure the crazy frog version is more punk rock than this. <laughs> uh outside of Angel Olsen, it also made recent comeback uh as jimmy fallon and the roots did a version during the pandemic of course they did uh and also a is there a kazoo involved there is right in the beginning really um, of course there is yeah. i was well, I got, totally I, I just guessing I, i've never seen it i was just There's guessing. a kazoo and a spray bottle and a sponge it's all it's all really well done i guess it would be is that a kazoo it's a melodica yeah kazoo adjacent and here, here's I, I have zero, zero proof behind this. Um, I don't think what I'm about to say is true at all, but I'm just going to go with it. Uh, I think one of the biggest uh, impacts this song might maybe possibly have had in the world is this song is about dancing. And it's about dancing when you're not supposed to dance. Mm-hmm. And look, I, I don't know if it's a coincidence here, but footloose came out a year after i was gonna mention that i'm just gonna say it i'm just gonna say it it's funny that you mentioned uh maniac from Flashdance because i feel like that song and footloose were like up against each other for a while uh and when you said it was i mean when you were explaining this song i was like footloose footloose this is like his uh ivan's explanation of what this song is about made me think of footloose very footloose Somebody heard this song and was like, I'm going to write a screenplay. Yeah. Uh, so where, where are Ivan and the boys now? Uh, I'd love to know. Yeah. After Safety Dance, they went on to record five more albums. Well, the, the second album was in the, in the bag when this song hit. Yeah. Right. right? The only other brief moment of, of another hit they had is a song called Pop Goes the World, which the song is about as absurd as the video is. I'm going to send this to you. Uh, I, I I don't even know how to explain it. It's just fucking weird. And but apparently it was a hit. It was a hit in Canada. Hit in yeah. Canada. Okay. For what that's worth. I mean, it's got a lot of views on here for being for it's not absurd. something that came out when YouTube was around. It features Ivan popping bubbles. It's got like a wow. like almost like a nursery rhyme type yeah, of uh, it chime like, to it. It sounds like a a lullaby. Yeah, and then it almost has like a John Cougar Mellencamp type lyrics. This is terrible. It's awful, and the video is absurd. 
There's a snowman playing drums. Well, that part's cool. Uh, the baby playing the synth is pretty rad. This looks like a Bloodhound Gang video. <laughs> it kind of does. <laughs> wow. Okay. It's beyond strange. You should all watch it because, you know, why not? So I've been for a long time with a stay-at-home dad until 2010. Very cool. When there was a bit of a resurgence in the popularity of New Wave, he went out uh, and reformed the band I read with session musicians and began playing some festivals in 2011. Wait, his brothers were like, nah? I think they all kind of went separate ways. Uh, Not like, you know, uh, in a bad way, but I think they all just kind of got different careers after making music. Um but yeah, right. he went he went back on the road with uh, Devo, and then he toured with the Human League and B-52s. Cool. Uh, I mean, all, yeah. all great bands. Uh, in 2012, he released their first album in 10 years called Love in the Age of War. Two, uh, 2020, yeah. Um, the Canadian Songwriters Hall of Fame announced that it was inducting the Safety Dance and Pop Goes the World into its permanent and interactive ex- exhibition at the National Music Center in Calgary. Wow. Yeah. So, and you know, like, I gotta say, like, from every interview I watched with Ivan, he just seems really wholesome, and he seems, like, genuinely stoked that the song made an impact and changed his life, and he's very Canadian about it, and I love that. Like, genuinely chuffed. Yeah, he's genuinely chuffed. Uh, That's great. So, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I I, I think the M- MTV had a big big part in the success of the song, but I will say that... Because yeah, the video is is just so... That there's no way that anything at the time looked like no, that. Yeah, definitely not. Uh, but I would say every like review or mainly like articles writing back on the song, like thinking about it, everyone references his voice and how it was just kind of like very baritone and direct. And I think this song was just like it has a hook that is catchy as hell. But I think it just caught people because it just worked. And I think it's just one of those songs that. It just somehow it sounded absolutely nothing like anything else that was happening, and perhaps that was a big part of it. But I just think the song kind of punches you in the face. Yeah, you can't help. It's like it's like it comes right in the club version, or the dance version that got popular, like right off the bat, like and then his vocals are very in your face, very punk influenced. uh, Where he's he's just like like you could probably I'm sure there are punk covers of this, but like you could probably replace the synthesizers with super heavy guitars and drums and keep his vocals and it just sounds like a punk song. <laughs> yeah. And I think it just, yeah, like you said, kind of punched people in the face and they were like, all right. And it's just catchy. And I think yeah, it just works. it is. So that's the song. And it makes you want to dance. It's about dancing. It has a dance, has a dance. that we think might have been popular. It's no achy breaky heart, but <laughs> it's not. Uh, I'm going to be, I think I might be busting right. the dance out at the wedding. Bring it back. This Saturday. Bring it back. That's going to be huge. Well, that's the story of the safety dance. We did it. Love it. I, I feel safer already. Yeah. Again, it's a song that uh, there's no like real big meaning behind it, but it, it was a song that we, it was a great story. we had to cover it. I like it is. Uh, it's a song that is just made for this podcast. I think behind every weird song, there's a great story. Even if it's just telling this is what the song's about. And here's what happened. That's a wrap on this episode of You Wanted a Hit. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Good luck getting that song out of your head. Please remember to subscribe so you know when the next episode is out. And if you listen on Apple, write a review, but only if it's nice. Follow us on Twitter at YWAHpod and let us know what you think. Or tell us what we missed by sending us an email at ywahpod at gmail.com. And lastly, share with a friend if you had a good time. 
This podcast was researched, produced, recorded, and edited by me and Theo Beidler. And our theme music is by Air Doctor. We'll see you next time.